All right. If you would, uh, take your Bible and don't open them to Revelation 17, but instead open them to Revelation chapter 4. I'll explain why in just a second. Uh, just to give a plug, um, before I forget it, we, we haven't been in Revelation in our study for the last couple of weeks, obviously. I've been away for the last two Sundays. Many of you have, too, because of spring break. Um, but in my absence, Garrett Walden uh, taught in this hour. And Garrett is a pastor at, one of the pastors at Grace Heritage Baptist Church in Auburn. It's a great church. Um, and he was here in the college ministry when he was a student. And he, uh, he did an, a really outstanding job teaching. And I just want to commend you, if you weren't able to hear him, his lessons are up on the podcast. I would, I would really, really encourage you to listen to those. Uh, I did once I got back from, from London. The first week he taught uh, from Hebrews chapter 10 on the, on the theme of assurance in Christ, that phrase in Hebrews 10 on the full assurance of faith. Um, and it was just outstanding. I don't want you to do this, but if you only listen to one of the two, Listen to that one, um, because it was so deeply, deeply encouraging. But I would also encourage you to listen to the one he did last Sunday from John 10 on Jesus the Good Shepherd. So, so good. I'll have him back. Um, you'll be blessed if you go listen. But I've told you a couple of times, and I'm not entirely sure how it happened, but we're a few, we got a few weeks ahead of schedule in our study through Revelation. And... Uh, and um, we're not scheduled to be in Revelation 17 until next Sunday. So uh, that's a, actually a good thing because a good bit of my prep time, I, was, I had initially planned on just pressing on ahead and just being a week ahead, but my, some of my, a lot of my prep time yesterday in wrapping up was taken up with Laura and I taking our daughter Hannah to get stitches because she fell out of a tree. She's fine. She's all stitched up, but things take time. Anyway, um, so I'm going to teach on something that I taught Several years back, um, feels like a long time ago at this point, uh, one spring semester many moons ago in CBS, I taught an, a series on the attributes of God. And, uh, and so I thought I would reprise one of those, one of those lessons this morning. Why? Why that? Why would I gravitate to that? But, well, because, uh, for one, I thought that, for me at least, teaching it, that was a very encouraging series for me to teach through it. Uh, and I wanted to add my, uh, my attempt to what Garrett did to give you a very encouraging lesson. Uh, but also because as I reflect back on, on the book of Revelation, we've been moving through Revelation at a pretty good pace. So fast, in fact, that we're way ahead of schedule. But we've at a, at a good pace and for good reason because the, one of the best ways, if you've never studied Revelation before, is to move through it at big chunks at a time just to get the lay of the land and what's, what's the main issues at play and who are the main characters and what's the storyline, what's it trying to tell us, 30,000-foot flyover version. That's what we've been doing. But one drawback of that is sometimes you, you don't slow down enough to notice some other things that it's trying to lift to your attention. Uh, and, 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 and one of those things are some of the attributes of God that come to, to the fore when you're, st when you're reading Revelation. One clear of that, uh, example of that is going to be this, one of these passages here in Revelation 4, which we'll read um, in just a moment. And I know that thinking about the attributes of God can be, feel like sort of like jumping in the deep end of the pool. 
Um, but it's deeply rewarding. And, and sometimes Scripture, like a passage here, just invites us to think about them. So l- let's look at a passage here in Revelation 4. I'm thinking particularly verses 8 through 11. Now, we've already studied this chapter way many weeks ago, so it should be familiar with you. But this is a scene in heaven around the throne of God. And beginning in verse 8, we read, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, just that, those, that short passage, just think about how many attributes of God are just laid before you to think about in those few verses. You see the the holiness of God right off the bat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's just, that's just quoting Isaiah chapter 6. And I've told you this a few times. In Isaiah 6, which was written in Hebrew, when, they, when, the, when the seraphim around, are around the throne proclaiming just that, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, there is no, there is no intensifier in Hebrew like, the word, like our word very. If something is good, it's good. If it's better, it's very good, right? There's no, so their way of doing that is just to repeat the word. If something's good, it's good. If it's better than that, it's good, good. If it's the best, it's good, good, good. And that's what they're doing with holy. Holy, holy, holy. God is as holy as holy can be. So the holiness of God is there. The omnipotence of God is there. The Lord God Almighty The eternity of God, who was and is and is to come, He lives forever and ever. It says that twice. The glory of God. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor. The sovereignty of God. Uh, Lord God Almighty. Uh, Created all things. By your will they existed. And another fancy word that we don't have time to think about, but the fact that He is this creator-creature distinction, God is, it, it highlights the aseity of God. He is ase. It means he is of himself. He is from himself. Nobody created him. He created everything else. Just the attributes are just pouring out of passages like this. And this is just one of, I've just picked this because it's one of, you had to start somewhere. This is just one of many in the book of Revelation, not just, and just, just not just in Revelation, throughout the Scriptures, that invite us to think about what God is like, His attributes. And so this morning, I want us to think about two of His attributes in particular. And if, you're, if you've got something to write with, it might be helpful. We're going, to look, we're going to think about a lot of Scriptures. We may not be able to turn to every one of them. So it might be good to just jot these, these down, or you can just listen. That's fine. 
The two attributes I want to think about in particular this morning are his eternity, his eternity, and his omnipresence. God's eternity and his omnipresence. And I want to think about these, how not only are they true of God, and not only, I want to think, not only how we ought to think of those things about him and how we should understand it, but also I want to see how encouraging they should be to us. Um, And we're certainly going to need God's help to think about these things. So let's pray at the outset, and then we'll dive into the deep end of the pool. Oh, Lord, what we just read in Revelation 4 and every other scripture that we're going to consider this morning, and there are many, every word of it is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And, uh, Lord, we're going to be thinking about important things about you this morning. And so as we think about them, would you give us eyes to see the truth in the text? Would you please, in particular, give us minds to understand these things about you? Would you give us hearts to embrace and love and be passionate about these things about you? Would you give us wills to obey and, and respond, however it is that you would have us to respond to what we think about this morning? Uh, Give us all ears to hear. Give me the help that I need to teach. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's let's get a little background or or at least uh, set the stage a little bit. So when when theologians talk about the attributes of God, they often divide them up into two different categories. Now, sometimes they'll go by different names, but here's, here's a common one. They'll divide them up into, and these are long words, but incommunicable and communicable attributes. Those sound like long words. We don't use incommunicable very much, but we might hear the word communicable in terms of diseases. It's a communicable disease. Like it's a, it's a disease that can be passed from one person to another. Now, I'm not saying that the attributes of God are diseases, but the, the idea is the same. What, what they mean by communicable and incommunicable diseases or attributes, is that uh, there are attributes of God, characteristics of Him that He has communicated, that He has given for us to possess in some measure uh, as well. But there are also other attributes, uh, and those are communicable attributes. And, And there are other attributes that He has not communicated to us, that He has not given to us, that are utterly and only true of God alone. Examples of communicable attributes are many, 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 many. Uh, Love is an attribute of God um, that he has communicated to us to to possess as well. Now, we are sinners, and our loves are all kind of warped and twisted, and we love the wrong things, and we don't love the right things with the intensity that we should. But we know what it is to love. Uh, we, We... and, 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 and so through that, when it tells us that God is love, we have, there is something, we have, we have an experiential way of knowing what that means. We, uh, we know something experientially of, of what, what God's love means, that we don't, we don't love exactly the way God loves, but he's communicated that attribute to us to possess it in ourselves and know it in that way. Not just head, but I know what it means to love. 
The same is true with all of the many other uh, communicable attributes of God. The examples just are, are so many. His goodness, His patience, His righteousness, uh, His wisdom, His jealousy, His faithfulness. I mean, all of these are things that you can experientially understand, not just in your mind. When you talk about some of those things, you, you, you intuitively know what they mean because they're true of you too. Things get a little different when you start talking about the incommunicable attributes. These are attributes of God that, that we have no experiential way of understanding um, because he hasn't given us them to us to possess. It's, it's hard, for example, for us fully to understand exactly what it means to say that God is spirit because we are so flesh and bone. It is, it is or, or to say that, that, that God is immutable, that he doesn't change. Because all we do is change. Um, or that God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. That God is omnip- omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, everywhere present, at once. Because we don't possess those attributes in that way. A, a way of summarizing that is to say that God is infinite and we're finite. He's infinite and we're finite. Moses said in Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? And the implied answer is none. None are like him. So how much less is there anyone like the Lord in these ways among us? We're finite creatures. We have limits to everything. Uh, Limited in every way. Limited in our knowledge. Limited by location. I'm here, not there. Uh, Limited in power. I can do this. I can't do that. Limited by time. I'm now, not later. You know, God is not. He's infinite. But this, this means that not only does he possess knowledge and presence and power or whatever to an infinite degree, it's not like he's like us just more. Not to an infinite degree, but also in an altogether different way than we possess uh, anything like this. So like I said, we're going to see a couple of examples of that this morning because God's God's infinity, as it pertains to time, is called eternity. And God's infinity, as it pertains to space, is called omnipresence. Okay? Now this, I I told you we're diving in the deep end of the pool, but I tell you these are deeply encouraging truths about God, and I want you to know them. All right, so let's, 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 it's not going to be a walk in the park, but let's get get after it. Let's think first about God's infinity as it pertains to time. Namely, God is eternal. He's eternal. And here's how I want to proceed with this, as well as the second attribute we're going to think about. I want us to look at some, and this is where you might jot down uh, some of the references. I want to look at some, not nearly all, because we don't have the time to look at all, but some of the biblical evidence for the doctrine. Where do we see it in the Bible? Okay, Uh, and then think for a minute about what kind of language the the Bible uses to describe this about God, and and that to help us understand how we ought to conceive it in our minds, and then why it's so important. That's our method. Where do we see it in the Bible? What kind of language is being used? How how should I understand that? And then why is it so important to me in my in my daily life? Scripture. Now let's 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 start. Scripture overflows profusely with with testimony of God's eternity. 
Uh, obviously, the Bible begins with the testimony that God existed before the creation of the world. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Gen- uh, John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, and, 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 an, and an important point to note, just briefly at the outset, if you've never thought about it in this way, is that time itself is part of the created order. Time itself is part of creation. Uh, as, as theologians put it, time is the mode of creaturely existence. Right? God created us to be finite creatures limited by time, and thus he built into his creation ways of marking and measuring that time. All right? So, yeah, so even though time and, and, and the measuring of it began with creation in the beginning... In the beginning, there was a beginning to the time, okay? Uh, Scripture tries constantly to testify to the limitlessness of God with regard to time. So here's here's some examples. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Or Job 36.26 Behold, God is great, and we know Him not. The number of His years is unsearchable. You know? There you see that, that one of Job's friends saying that the number of God's years is unsearchable, but, there, but there's, a, there's a limit to how we can understand that. Because he also says that God is great, and we know Him not. There's, there, there's only, we can go this far and no further. We, we can understand just so much, but because He's infinite and we are finite, He is still incomprehensible to us in many ways. Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15 begins this way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity... Romans 16, 26 calls God the eternal God. Also in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. He who is the blessed and and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be glory and eternal dominion, Amen. He alone possesses immortality, completely unbound by time. Jesus said in this very book, in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We saw that in our opening pa- uh, passage in chapter 4 as well. So it seems like It seems clear that when Scripture tries to describe God's relation to time, it goes out of the way to to show that God is not bound by time like we are. So here's another example. Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. Psalm 102, 25 to 27. Here's what we read. Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. 
You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. God is not bound by time like we are, and all of creation is. But Scripture also, and this is, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Scripture also tries to show just as much how, how, how uh, that God's relation time is not just an endless duration of time. It's not just more time than we have. It's not just an endless duration. Um, it's, a, it's, it's altogether completely different than the way we experience it. We get that idea from Scripture itself, too. So let me, back to Psalm 90. Do you remember Psalm 90, verse 2? You jotted down that reference. In Psalm 90, verse 2, that's where uh, Moses says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That sounds like endless duration. From everlasting to everlasting. Um, but think carefully about the kind of language that the, that the Scripture itself uses. So, uh, two verses later, Psalm 90 verse 4. So verse 2 says, from everlasting to everlasting. Two verses later in verse 4, uh, we read this. For a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday. When it is past or a watch in the night. So that is trying to say it's not everlasting to everlasting. It's, but, it's, but he's trying to say just after that. But I don't mean just forever. I'm saying it's different. Because a thousand years is like yesterday to him. Uh, think about that. A thousand years of future time are past to him. Yes, what I'm trying to say is the Bible does use the language of time to describe God, but it uses it to the most maximal degree that it can to try and demonstrate that He's outside of time Himself. From everlasting to everlasting you are God. It uses the language of time to describe it because that, as finite creatures, that's all we have. That's the only way we know how to speak. But it's clear that Scripture is trying to present God as not being bound by time as the creature is. He's the creator, not the creature. That's a distinction always to keep in mind between the creator and the creature. So knowing this, how should we conceive of God's eternity? How should we think about it or try to understand it? Hang with me here. We should not understand God as totally outside of time completely as if He has no interaction with us. But rather, as one theologian, one of my favorites, Herman Bavink, if you can ever read Herman Bavink, do it. Here's what he says. God's eternity does not stand abstract and transcendent above time, but is present and imminent in every moment of time. And he goes on to say, in God's eternal consciousness, He knows time as a whole, as well as all the succession of moments. But this fact does not make Him temporal, that is, subject to time, or measured by time. That's mind-blowing but here's how I think about it to God 
all of time is an eternal present before Him. All the successive moments of time from beginning to end are before Him. And in a single act, He acts at once in every moment of time. And while we experience that in successive moments, God did it in a single act. In the act of creation. So from God's vantage point, at the time he created the world, he created today. Just marinate in that one for a minute. And if tomorrow is in his eternal plan, he created that one already too. Every day until the end of your life that you will experience in successive moments of time until that day is already done. It's in, in, in his eternity, he's already done it. That's how the Bible can say things like, all the days of my life were written in your book before one of them came to be, Psalm 139. But don't think, don't think about God's eternity as a static, immovable now. As if God acted and that's it. As if there is no life in God. To say that God is outside of time does not mean that God is an eternal statue. This is, this is I'm going to go to Bob Inc. again. To think of an analogy that, of what he means by that, Here's, here is what, and listen so carefully to what Bob Inc. says here. It's, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. And you can write, read that in the how. Anyway, Bob Inc. says a true analogy of it is it's not the contentless existence of a person for whom, as a result of idleness or boredom, grief or fear the minutes seem like hours and the days do not go but creep the analogy lies rather in the abundant and exuberant life of the cheerful laborer for whom time barely exists and days fly by he goes on to say soberly that in hell there is no eternity but only time we will rise above time as we know it and all its imperfections, and we will rise into what Bobbing calls the abundant and the exuberant life of the cheerful laborer for whom time barely exists and day, days fly by. Now, I love thinking about that. Maybe you don't. But either way, what relevance does that have to my life right now? Because that sure seems highfalutin. What, what, why, sh why should you think about those things? Well, for one, it's for this reason that we can know that God doesn't change. He doesn't change. He will not be different tomorrow than he is today. Because while for you it's two days, for him it's one act. And he can't change in the span of a single act. Here's an even better reason. Especially if you struggle with anxiety or fear. Because he's eternal, you can know when, you think, when, you, when you're anxious about the future, you can know he's already there. He's already there.
When you, when you are anxious about the future and you, you're fearful about it, part of the reason you're anxious and part of the reason you're fearful is because in your mind, you're thinking about that future event as if God's not there. But He is. And that changes everything about the future. He's already there. And finally, sort of in line with the, the first two, you can know His promises are true. You can know his promises are true. Because he doesn't change, and because to him the beginning and the end are inseparable, his promises about the future are true. Thus, it, this is an amazing God we worship. Because as if his eternity were not enough to marvel at, Scripture also says he's not only infinite as it pertains to time, but also to space. And that's where we learn also that God is not only eternal, He's omnipresent. This is also a truth about God that is overwhelming in its biblical support. We won't have time to see all of it, but we'll look at some of it. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. 1 Kings 8, 27. When Solomon and Israel, they had just finished building the, the first temple, and they were... Uh, dedicating that, that building of the temple, Solomon prayed. And this is part of so Solomon's prayer. is outstanding, by the way. Meditate on that one. Here's one thing he said in that prayer, 1 Kings 8, 27. He says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. They had no illusions that they could build a temple in which God could dwell and be contained by it. It couldn't contain him. That was 1 Kings 8.27. Or this is what the Lord said through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 23, verses 23 and 24. God says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? He fills heaven and earth. He is everywhere present. And that's exactly what we've already referenced Psalm 139, but Psalm 39, 7 through 10. This is probably the most well-known passage affirming God's omnipresence. Psalm 39, 7 through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. There's nowhere that he could go that God is not. And to quote the same theologian I did earlier, Herman Bobbing, he says, God trans he transcends all space and location. He is not somewhere, yet fills heaven and earth. He is not, he's not spread throughout like light and air but is present with his whole being in all places. 
And that, again, gets to how we talk about God's presence. We are finite creatures limited by location. I am here and not there. You are there and not here. And the language of location is all we have to use. In creaturely language, that's all the language we know to use. We don't have categories other than that in our language. But God transcends all of it. As Scripture, using only the language it knows, it tries to show how God exceeds it, just like it did with time. But Bavink says, don't think of God being everywhere like light spreading throughout this room or air spreading throughout this room because God is spirit. I don't know how he is present everywhere at once. Scripture declares that he is. Scripture also says that God can be present. This is important. God can be present in different ways to different people with his whole being at the same time. So, for example, Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15. This is a well-known verse and one worth your memorization. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. He is in one place in one way, and in another place in another way. God is not only in heaven to bless. He is also present in another way in hell to judge. So there is a sense in which Scripture will say those who are in hell have been cast away from the presence of God. Yes, in one sense, no in another. Yes, in one sense, they are cast away from the presence of God's blessing and favor and, and, and you know, the, the consummation of glory being with Him forever. They're cast away from that, His manifest presence of blessing. They are not cast away from His manifest presence of judgment. Scripture is, is, is just as clear when it says... How do you know this? Because it uses frameworks like, the hand of the Lord was upon me in a way of judgment. Right? Um In Acts chapter 13, it'll use the hand of the Lord was upon me in both ways, for judgment and for blessing. In Acts 13, uh, Paul rebuked Simon the magician who was trying to hinder the the preaching of the gospel. And, And in verse 11, Acts 13, 11, this is what Paul said, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Wow. That's God's presence. The hand of the Lord was upon him for judgment. You'll be blind. Just two chapters later in Acts, uh, no, excuse me, earlier in Acts 11, in Acts eleven twenty one, we read that when the, the scattered believers because of persecution, that when they went abroad preaching the gospel, this is what we read in Acts eleven twenty one, just two chapters earlier. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's God's presence. hand of the Lord was with them in the form of blessing. God is always present everywhere. 
Again, what kind of practical application do we glean for that right now? When I wake up on Tuesday, what does that matter? Well, it's enormously helpful to know that God is always present. He simply manifests his presence in different ways. In all the different circumstances you can imagine in the world. So here's an application. Even when you don't, or even when you feel like God isn't present, first of all, he is. So, don't listen to your feelings so much. And it could be that God is manifesting himself in a different way to you for your good. For example, when I, if I should sin deliberately, and, and because of that sin, I feel like I have broken fellowship with God, and I don't, he doesn't feel close to me. That doesn't mean he's not close to me. But he may be manifesting uh, that his presence to me in that way where I don't feel like I'm close to him for my good so that I repent and come to him in repentance and faith. And furthermore, if you're trusting in Christ, God has promised never to leave you. So his presence wherever you go is with you. Jesus said, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You are never alone. And that has at least two practical implications. One, when you're nervous, for example, when you, when you uh, go somewhere that you've never been, maybe you're apprehensive about going, um, well, God's already there. God's already there. And he'll be with you there. That's better than any companion. But also knowing that you're never alone ought to make you more diligent to be holy. Because there are no private sins. Every sin that you commit that you believe is private and no one else knows, God knows he's there. And what does it say about us when we commit sins privately because we fear human presence more than God's? Our finite God is an amazing God. He's, ama he's, he's amazing in ways that we cannot fathom fully, certainly cannot fully comprehend. But I pray that these truths, just two examples, these are just two attributes. pray that these truths wouldn't cause us to, to despair of ever knowing God, but would drive us deeper to worship Him who is beyond our feeble comprehension. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for revealing these things to us about yourself. There are so many things just in that one passage in Revelation, in Revelation 4, we, we rattled off so many different attributes that were, that were just displayed before us in, in just three or four verses. We just picked two of them. Your eternity, your omnipresence. I pray that... Uh, as we leave here today, as we go into the next hour, just for, I pray that th th these truths will be memorable for us for the rest of our lives, that, that, that we would not think of you in a way out of our own imagination, and we would, we would have a proper understanding of you as you have described yourself to us in your word as we go throughout our days. 
that we might be holy and that you might be praised. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.